You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 783 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening, and I actually recorded this podcast with Max Carlin on Monday night, but I held it, and that is because, at least partly, because today, on July 14th, is the four-year anniversary of this podcast, and I'm not a big person that dives into that uh, in terms of the, uh, <laughs> I guess, the milestones along the way. Um, I, I do like to number the episodes, which is not something that everyone does, and it just kind of helps me out in a lot of different ways, but 783 episodes is quite a bit, and I appreciate everybody listening to the show, uh, and of course, uh, four years is a long time. Um, normally, honestly, I'm usually in Las Vegas during this point in time uh, talking about Summer League Basketball, and the first show that I ever did was live in a Las Vegas hotel room uh, with my just little <laughs> little headphone setup, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, talking about Summer League stuff, so uh, the show hopefully has grown quite a bit since then. I think... Uh, I guess I hope, anyway, that the show is much better than it was back then, but I really, really want to take a second to uh, tell everyone that I really appreciate all of the support. If you've listened to one or five or ten or 780 of the episodes, I, uh, I greatly appreciate everyone that has uh, spread the word and listened and subscribed and uh, just followed along both here and also with my written stuff at Peachtree Hoops and Dime and other places. So I'm not that sentimental, but I wanted to go ahead and lead off with that on the podcast and uh, really sincerely thank you very much for all the support and hopefully we'll keep it going in the future. Okay, uh, with that out of the way, uh, this podcast is part one of a two-part interview that I did with Max Carlin of Prep to Pro Podcast, as well as Celtics blog, other places. Max is very, very smart. That's a good podcast to go ahead and listen to if you like the NBA draft. Prep to Pro is one that I listen to all the time uh, with Max and Ben Pfeiffer and a myriad of guests. Uh, regardless, though, uh, Max and I talked about the draft up and down, as you might imagine, uh, the top, top guys along the way, as well as some of his favorite uh, guys who, he, who he's higher on than the consensus, also guys that he's lower on than the consensus, and we basically just sort of ran, uh, ran the gamut at this point in time. Um, obviously, pre-lottery, it's a little bit tougher, and hopefully I'll, get, I'll have Max back on later on in the uh, in the cycle, but it was really fun to talk with him. It's about a combined about an hour and 15 minutes of content, spread over two days. Part one will be going up now as you're listening to this, and then uh, part two will be dropping sometime on Wednesday night into Thursday morning. So stay tuned for all of that. All right, and with all of that out of the way, after a quick break, we'll come back with my conversation with Max Carlin of Prep to Pro Podcast. Max, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How you uh, how you doing in this uh, sort of mid July hour? Doing about as well, I think, as as anyone could could reasonably be doing right now. How are you? Yeah, we're hanging in there. Uh, we start we were talking before we started recording, and it's uh, you know the draft seems like an endless cycle. Uh, I have to ask this question to every draft person that I have on. I think you probably have heard it a million times, but uh, is this class as bad as we all say it is, or is it just Run of the mill bad because it's it's uh, it's more of a broad question about the class overall. But I think everyone's in agreement it's not that it's not a good class. But uh, people sort of de- I guess debate on how bad it is. So uh, how do you feel about the whole draft overall? Um, I mean, it's striking in its lack of number one talent. Uh, there are a lot of guys I like as secondary pieces in a in a team building philosophy. Um, there are a lot of guys that I just think since I like them more than, than the consensus, I would be very content getting them 
where they're well where they will uh, actually go um but yeah it's not good um there's <laughs> there's no star talent uh i think once you hit around 11 or 12 it dips pretty hard and i really would not want to be picking in that mid first area uh i i think it picks back up in the second or so um and it, and it just flattens out for a long time uh and you know i think you're getting pretty reasonable nba bets then for a while uh but yeah it's 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 not a good class i think that when you're when you're talking about the overall quality of a class anyway you should be skewing pretty heavily toward the top end uh because i mean that's that's what really matters and uh that this class just simply doesn't have that uh so yeah it's it's not good the the (laughs) upcoming years are a lot better um but you know it there there are some guys that, that are fun to watch so you can make it work for 15 months or whatever the cycle is yeah it's definitely unending uh it's interesting you know given that i i'm covering a team this is a, a team podcast that uh the timing of the rebuild and this is probably going to be the last high pick that the hawks have which they hope that it is uh the timing of that it's not exactly ideal for a, a number of reasons but at the same time uh they also don't have uh the defined need to have that number one creator that most teams drafting this high have which is that's nice uh, because that's i agree with you the biggest thing that this class does not have is that star talent and the hawks don't necessarily have to have uh at least have to find a number one creator in this in this draft which is nice but i don't know it's I'm asking everyone that kind of rough question just because I feel like you get different answers. I think everyone agrees the top is not good. It's just kind of how far that goes down. And I think for me, this draft is relatively normal at a certain point from like a certain point on to the end. It's not like, you know, outlier bad. It's just kind of people disagree on where that point actually is. Uh, Like you said, you wouldn't want to pick in the mid first round. And I think I agree with you on that. Um, At the same time, it's weird because most of at least the podcast stuff that I'm doing is, is Hawks is Hawks based. So I, I basically never talk about guys who are supposed to go between, you know, 12 and 40. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious on the podcast because the Hawks have these, have this pick that's going to be a top eight pick. And then they had their own pick at the end of the, at the end of the second round. And yeah, they could, they could buy back in, but for the most part, especially that group between, you know, 12 and 14 down to like 25, I don't know how the Hawks would possibly get a pick in that range. Uh, I can't really foresee a way that they are going to do that, especially because they don't seem to want to get back into this draft or add more young pieces. So it's kind of a dead area. I say all that to say, I'm going to ask you to fill in the gas for me a little bit. Um, do you have a favorite player that's in that range that I never talk about? Um, you know, that mid to first, that mid to late first round value range. I know I'm, we're kind of going off of mock drafts and, and, and intel that we don't always have, but uh, based on what you think, what you think we know anyway, like who's the kind of guy that you like more than maybe the consensus does that's somewhere in that mid to late first round range that maybe I haven't talked about a lot? Yeah, I'm kind of detached from reality when it comes to this stuff because I'm so immersed in the in the draft Twitter world. Uh, you're, you're better but, that you're, you're better off that way, by the way. I, I can <laughs> I can try I can try to steer you if you say something that's that's definitely not going to happen in real life. I'll try to help you, but yeah. No, I've, I'm I'm looking at the at the ESPN top 100 best available thing now. Um, I mean the the 13 through 16 range on ESPN's board is like a murderer's row of guys I really like. So it's Cole Cole Anthony, Tyrese Maxey, Pat Williams, and Devin Vassell. Um, I would say you, the, the FSU guys are, are my guys. Uh, I mean, Wait, Max, is, De- is Devin Vassell 16 on ESPN's board Devin now? Devin Vassell 16, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's low. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, you have that. to think he, he rises, but 
yeah, uh, that's kind of wild to me for a guy who was the best team defender in, in college basketball last year and um, is a pretty remarkable pull-up shooter who has who has real flashes as a as a passer. Um, they think that you know he, I think we will see him expand on that in the NBA. Um, remain, I mean, remains to be seen what level of shooter he is, what level of shot maker he is. I mean, he's not a big time advantage creator. Uh, that's definitely an op against him. I think there are scenarios where his defensive impact is a little muted if he's expected to be like an on-ball wing stopper. He's not the best laterally. He has pretty high and narrow hips. Um, he's just kind of weak. Uh, just doesn't have the best body. Um, and it, it's just, I mean, he's just not someone who's breaking people down off the dribble and getting to the rim. But, you know, shot making has a lot of value. It's one, one of the more valuable things out there. Uh, so to get that out of a guy who's six seven and wildly intelligent and instinctual is, uh, I think, pretty special. I've uh, been a huge Vassell guy uh, since preseason. I think he had him as like a fringe-type first guy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love him. think he'd be a great fit in Atlanta, actually. Uh, although, I mean, it depends It depends where, kind of. Like, I don't know if you if you listened to, to our mock episode. I did. Um, yeah, I know, I know you, you shout us out a lot on, on this <laughs> podcast. And we, we thoroughly appreciate it. Um, but I think Jake uh, Jake Rosen took Vassell for you guys at four, which was was a little rich, I think, for Vassell. But, um, I mean, what, what would you th- – if they came away with someone like Vassell, like what would you think their um, situation is in terms of finding like a secondary creator long term? Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, I'm I'm predisposed to liking Vassell. I like role players. I like guys who do the stuff that gets undervalued. So I I tend to like him. And I was going to ask about him, so we'll just do it now. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. He doesn't bring that, and I think the Hawks, at least I feel this way. I think they do as well, and I think people around the team that observe them regularly think that they need a number two creator of some sort. And obviously, John Collins. It really helps to have John Collins, who's really good on offense, and I think they can. They believe that he can do more. He thinks he can do more. But you know, in terms of just individual shot creation and creation for others, they probably need that secondary guy. They like Herder. They like Reddish. I think it's possible that they think it's already on the roster. I'm not sure I agree with that, but um, especially with Reddish, I think they've, they've always liked Reddish um, and his secondary creation. I, I think I'm of the mind that they need to always try to get a second quote-unquote star. It doesn't necessarily be have to, like have to actually be a superstar, but someone who can be a little bit a little bit higher level on the creation stuff than the guys they already have. So if they took Vassell um, or Isaac Okoro, who's another guy that I wanted to ask you about because he, um, I had Sam Messini on, and he mentioned, and I've heard this too, that the Hawks uh, like Isaac Okoro. Now, obviously, we don't know how high that is and all that stuff. It's still, it's still very early, but Okoro and Vassell, I don't think either one of those guys is going to be that kind of player. Okoro has some on-ball flashes that I'm going to ask you about, but yeah, it's it's interesting. If they were to bet on one of those guys in the top five, especially, that would, I think, kind of be either a signal that they already like what they have or that they think they can trade for it. Because, like I mentioned before, this is kind of going to be their last swing in the top of the lottery, they hope. So if you're taking a more of a, at least a slightly lower upside play overall with one of those supporting wing pieces... It says something. I'm not entirely sure what it says, but uh, it's either that they like their guys more than maybe we all do, or they feel like they like like a consolidation trade is happening. I think it could be it could be either one because they do have a lot of pieces. If they add another one, it might be even more ripe for a like a two a two for one three for one kind of deal. But I mean, it's a scenario that I've played out, especially if they land in that range where they probably are most likely to land in the draft like, that like four five six seven range. They might just settle on one of those wings, whether it be Okoro or Vassell, and that uh, it makes them 
interesting, but it doesn't address that number two creator need. Yeah, I think Okoro has a little more creation equity than that. Like, I, I like him as an on-ball player. I think people assume, you know, a guy who can't shoot has no on-ball ability, but he's a really, yeah, he's a really, really capable slasher. Um, like he, his handle has improved so much since, uh, since high school. Like he, he was a guy who you could always see how intelligent he was when, when say he had chances to, um, you know, pass on the move, but wasn't encumbered by his handle. You could see that there was that brilliant player in there that you always saw on defense, but it was just, I mean, the handle, not just like, it didn't just slow him down and prevent him from getting to places, but like it was like painful in his lack of shake and deception as a ball handler. And I really think he's made huge strides in that regard. Um, like he, he really can, you know, can get guys with change of direction. And, and uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive for a guy with his build um, because you can't like, you can't give Isaac Okoro a cushion really, because he'll just explode through you and finish. Like he is an incredibly balanced finisher. He's an ambidextrous finisher. Um, like he really is a pretty impressive creator as a slasher. Uh, so no, that's not you know running pick and rolls and shooting pull up threes. But I mean, there there are guys on the wing who create like that. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Butler comes to mind. Like Okoro, like Butler is a is a free throw rate monster. Um, you know, there are ways to create offense when you're not just you know playing like Trey Young essentially. Um, I mean, Okoro, like he he had definitely uh, success working as an isolation scorer this year. Like you know, giving the ball at the elbow and face up, and Isaac Okoro is yeah, he's a load like. People can't really stop him. Um, so I, I believe in him and, like, being used in, honestly, in ways similar to to some of the stuff we saw from Zion this year. Like, if you have him in the corner and he and he curls in, uh, like, on the weak side corner with a pick and roll happening on the other side, like, he can get downhill and people aren't going to stop him. Uh, so I have I have belief in Okoro creating, I think, more than most, which is why he's stayed pretty high for me, uh, top five guy for me. Um so I think as opposed to Vassell, he he definitely offers more of that. But I would I would be concerned. I mean, I would want I think I'd still want another like true ball handler type. Um, and I'm I'm not entirely sure Okoro is that. Right, and that's kind of where I am too. Like I, I think he both is underrated as someone with the ball in his hands, and also is not necessarily going to be that you know co lead or maybe number one secondary, whatever it is. However you want to say it um, in Atlanta. I, I was going to ask you about those t- uh, those two guys side by side. It's kind of funny that in many ways, because they are both wing sized players, Okoro and Vassell, at least in what I've been asked questions by Hawks fans. And uh, even, even in my discussion with people around the league, those guys get compared to each other a lot, even though they are very, very different. It's kind of funny. And I get why it is because they both are, you know, probably not stars and probably, you know, supporting wings in some ways, but uh, you kind of alluded to, uh, you sort of alluded to it on both sides, but, uh, it's interesting to me that they are compared so often. It seems like you like Okoro more. Um, would that would that also translate to Atlanta? Because uh, I know some people that I think are smart have sort of worried aloud potentially about Okoro in Atlanta because of the way that the Hawks play, uh, being that it is so focused on Trey and spread pick and roll and all this stuff. It may not be the best like perfect situation for Okoro, but at the same time, he also could bring things that they don't currently have. So uh, how do you feel about him specifically? And do you like the the fit on Vassell better? Uh, does that bridge the gap for you? Like what's the, what sort of the approach between both those guys and uh, Hawk specific fits for you? Yeah, I have them in the same tier, only a few spots apart. I do have a Okoro higher. Um, 
I, I won't pretend to be super well versed in in the Hawks' offense. I mean, I know it's a. I mean, a you, you, you can kind of picture. You, you can kind of yeah. I was gonna say you can kind of picture the uh, the thirty plus percent usage of Trey Young yeah. and uh, lots of what it looked. I mean, there are more nuances. There. They actually run some interesting stuff at times, but um, in, in the end, it's uh, it's based on it's based heavily on heavily on Trey. We'll say. Yeah, I mean, it it depends what it looks like off the ball. Like if it's if it's Houston's brand of of. Um, you know, heliocentric play where it's pretty stagnant off the ball, that would be really bad for Okoro. If it's, Okoro it's, not, is, it's not that bad, but uh, it's probably as closer to that than, uh, and again, part of this is that they didn't have anybody else mm-hmm. this year, so I think they're going to lean more away from this. I know Lloyd Pierce likes off-ball movement and stuff like that, but this year it was probably closer to Houston than they want it to be, just for some background there. Like, And that's kind of, I think that's where the worry comes in. If you watch the Hawks this year, you might worry more about Okoro in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the other thing is that I I don't know how I feel in terms of projecting them into the NBA, but certainly this past year Vassell was a far superior team defender to to Okoro. Um and I do think that that's kind of more where the where the Hawks needs lie on defense going forward. Like it, it's not so much individual guys. I know like Cam is is a very very good team defender as well, but but I, I tend to think that you just you're really going to need to shore up behind the point of attack because the point of attack is always going to be a problem for them. Um, so I, I think I would be maybe inclined to save a sell, but I do like both there. It's just with a Coro, you, you have to be conscious of what he is offensively and your plan can't be to stick him into the corner. Whereas that could be the plan with the Right. And that's, uh, that's well said. I think that's, I sort of alluded to that same thing. Um, if it's kind of what the role is, uh, if that is going to be, your fifth best player on offense, stick the guy in the corner role. I like Vassell a lot for that, actually, because the stuff that I worry about with Vassell, you sort of talked about earlier. Like, I don't think he is going to be a, a, really a big time threat with the ball in his hands other than when he's catching and shooting. There's a little bit of upside there, I guess. But that's one of the reasons I have him a little bit lower overall is that, you know, I think he just is a three and D guy in the, in the purest sense of the word, honestly. Like he can do a little more than that. It's not like he's just completely relying on catch and shoot, but that might be what he does in the NBA and that's not a problem that's going to be a very valuable player especially with the way that he plays defense off the ball and the way that he feels the game but uh he might be a, a more pure fit and I also like a core more if that makes sense it's kind of funny uh I, I hope slash think that the Hawks can figure out a Coro and now hearing multiple times including uh Sam on the record on this on the show that the Hawks like that the Hawks like him it makes me think maybe even hope that they have a plan for how to use him because the worst thing you could do with Isaac Okoro, especially with the way he's currently shooting the ball is to make him uh, you know, a pure floor spacer because that that's not the best way to utilize him at all. No, I think, I mean, you'd see what you saw in, in SEC play later in SEC play with Auburn, that teams started completely ignoring him. And then you have a, you have a free safety out there and that's, that's bad. Um, but I, I, I do like take some issue with the idea that Vassell has is strictly a three and D guy. I think he's really a pretty impressive uh, off the dribble shot maker. Um, he took uh, like forty percent of his shots were two point jumpers. Uh, only twenty two percent percent of them assisted. Shot forty three percent. I think he has like pretty comparable uh, long two numbers to guys like Chris Middleton, Layton, you know, in their college careers. Uh, he he was a really impressive shot maker this year. Um, and I mean, that might not necessarily work in the NBA. Like he, he was not a particularly good decision maker this year. And, um, I, I, I understand some cause for concern with, with his jumper. It is a little funky, but at this point we do have a pretty solid sample of him being a good, um, 
a good three-point shooter and I think a good long two-point shooter as well. Um, so I, I do buy more creation equity with Vassell. That's why I've got him in that same tier as Okoro. Um, and why, I mean, why I think you probably also were, were like pretty surprised to, to hear that ESPN has him 16th. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he is definitely a lot more suited to a th- traditional three and D role than, than Okoro is. For sure. And uh, I don't mean to discount Vassell's ability to create his own shot. I think I, I'm a little bit lower on it just because of his lack of maybe burst is the wrong word. Uh, plus the kind of the weird mechanics. I think he can do it. I think he can do it. I'm not sure he's going to be asked to do that kind of stuff at the NBA level more often is kind of what I'm saying. I yeah. think I'm not even sure what I'm saying, but uh, I think the way that teams might see him, I think especially a team like Atlanta might just see him as a guy who, yeah, he has a little bit of that to him, but he, you know, that, that more pure three and D archetype could be what teams are envisioning for him. And, you know, the Hawks have a couple of guys that like that mid range, uh, maybe more than, more than they want them to in Reddish and Hunter, both guys they drafted last year in the top 10, uh, mm-hmm. both like to get to that mid range and shoot pull-ups. And it's not the worst thing in the world because they can both kind of do it. But I think, uh, you know, shot profile wise, the Hawks don't love that. Um, traditionally the last few years, they're probably going to let those guys do it. Cause they like cause they like to do, it. especially Hunter. I think they knew that going in that he was going to like to work in that range a little bit. Um, but it's just interesting to me what they might be prioritizing. And honestly, we're in this vacuum of, inf- of information because there's no availabilities. I-, I feel like I know so much less right now about, about what the Hawks are trying to do, even off the record stuff um, in the draft than I should. But there's just not a lot of ways for me to get information right now. It's kind of bizarre, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, now that we did that, I wanted to do at some point the uh, the Okoro Vercel thing because it's interesting to me because they're just so different despite being similarly positioned. But uh, before I make you talk about the top, top guys um, – is there anybody that you just mentioned? You, know, you mentioned Pat Williams, uh, Tyrese Maxey. I know you like a lot. Um, is there anybody that's in that uh, maybe consensus range outside the top eight or ten that the Hawks should consider um, with their own pick? Because the Hawks could easily be drafting six or seven. I think most of the focus, and um, I get I get why with fans, is usually on the top two or three guys. But the Hawks are more likely to pick at six or seven than they are at one or two. So if they end up at five, six, seven. Is there a guy that might be somewhat off the radar that you like for them in that spot? Uh, I mean, does does Maxi count for that? Maxi would count, yeah. I think uh, I like him more than the consensus does too, but I think less than you. So uh, sell people on Maxi. Yeah. So my, um, I don't know. I guess the pitch for Maxi is three level scoring. Um, he is an amazing guard finisher. Uh, ridiculous ambidexterity. Unbelievable balance. Best in the class. Balance. Incredibly strong. Uh, diverse and creative finisher. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the the synergy uh, around the basket numbers in front of me, but they're very good. Uh, hopefully, people will take me at my word for that. They're very good. They are good. Um, yeah, <laughs> in, in the um, in the mid range, uh, great great runner guy. Um, like uh, people probably don't realize this because we didn't see it as much at Kentucky, but in in high school was a like runner god just unbelievable there's this one clip that that made the rounds on on draft twitter of him hitting a runner from literally from behind the basket um the guy just had had unbelievable touch on those in um in high school i honestly thought we'd see it more in like the the hero type uh tyler hero type role at, at kentucky but he was still he was still good on runners um so he's got that intermediate scoring and then um i mean the thing that i think people who re- who only start to follow the draft uh it, more in college, don't realize that Tyrese Maxey's track record as a shooter from three-point range is really, really strong. Um, 
going back to to EYBL, he was a really good shooter. We were talking very high volume at around 35% with really high free throw percentages. Uh, and it's not like he was hugging the line on these. Like he was pulling up from very deep, playing on the ball, taking tough shots and shooting well on them. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of concern about Tyrese Maxey long-term as a three-point shooter. Um, I, I think he probably will never be a super high percentage guy, but I think he'll make them just fine. Uh, so I buy him scoring at all three levels. Uh, doesn't quite have like, the shake as a ball handler that you'd want to really be breaking guys down. Uh, just doesn't have a deceptive handle like that. But just so so strong, such a good finisher. And then to have that intermediate game and and you know the shot out to three, I believe in him a lot as a scorer. And then as a defensive player, uh, maybe a little bit of worry alongside Trey Young just because he is on the smaller side. But I don't worry about Tyrese Maxey guarding most twos. I mean, he is kind of small, but he has uh, a really stocky build um, and is strong and can use it. Uh, so I have a, a good amount of faith in, in him as a on-ball defender against ones and twos, uh, maybe even some wings. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't push that necessarily. Uh, and then as a team defender, not a big-time playmaker, but he is very reliable. Like, I think the the Kentucky block and steal rates were bad, and that's concerning. But uh, I think if, if you watch him on a play-to-play basis, like, he's not a guy who's missing rotations. Like, he, he's there. He's just not – he's not taking huge risks and, uh, and necessarily ending possessions. But he's he is fulfilling all of his duties as a team defender, and, and uh, that matters, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I've been – pretty vocally high on Maxi. Uh, I'm not sure it's to the level of where you are. And I know uh, your co-host Ben Pfeiffer is, and you guys love Maxi. Um, I like him a lot too. I mean, my follow-up is going to be the follow-up. You, you sort of addressed it. Uh, whenever I bring him up, I feel like someone responds to me either on Twitter or somewhere else and questions the fit in Atlanta because of size more than anything else. Uh, obviously for drafting a guy in the top seven or eight, that is that what six, three ish um, profile. And your point guard is Trey young the natural question is, can those guys play together for any length of time? And Maxi is that, you know, traditional combo guard in a lot of ways. So what do you, what do you make of the fit? Because, you know, for instance, if, if they were deciding between uh, guys like Maxi or a wing, like a Coro or Vassell, um, maybe the fit would be a tiebreaker. And as a result of that, people would be wondering how it might work with Trey. Yeah. I, I think the fit with Maxi honestly presents fewer questions than, Ikora Vassell would because I have more confidence him in him as that second offensive guy than than those guys. Um and I really don't worry about him too much with um with defending bigger players. Uh I, I'm I'm struggling to think if there were any good examples in college, but I know that in um in high school he had a game against uh Keon Brooks, who ended up being his teammate at uh Kentucky, and Keon Brooks is a big six seven guy, uh who's quite strong. And Maxi really just like gave him the business. Like he he was getting into him. Like he, he couldn't be moved. Like he is a stocky stocky guy, uh, and and uses it well. Um, so I don't have a lot of concerns about him really against most NBA twos. Like uh, m- you know maybe there are some guys that he would be a little overpowered by, but I I don't I don't really worry about it too much. Um, you know when it comes to to guarding up, I think it it's a lot more. Uh, telling to look at how a guy actually performs like I mean I, I I'm a Celtics fan so I often come back to you know, Marcus Smart but you know looking at Marcus Smart you might not think that he's you know able to hold his own on on the vast majority of NBA fours but you know I, there are very few NBA fours that I'm 
you worry about Marcus Smart guarding because of the way that he applies himself physically and knows how to use his strength and create leverage. Like I think it's much more telling to look at how a guy uh, actually plays as opposed to just his phys- physical measure- measurables. And when it comes to Maxi, I think that he acquits himself very well when you just watch him play. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm with you. I think uh, more of his defense than most people would, uh, and I think it also helps that the Hawks do have a guy like Cam Reddish. Um, and even DeAndre Hunter, um, eventually I think that they're hoping he takes a step forward defensively um, that, c- that can cover up for that stuff. If you get somebody that Maxi couldn't handle, you do have a couple of other options. Uh, I-, I like the fit more than most. I- I'm sure it will scare some people away. Um, and by the way, Hawks fans, I'm sure, are not thrilled to hear you say that you're a Celtics fan. I just want to say that loud. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, it's just, yeah, I like Maxi a lot too. I think there is a split between... I don't want to say draft Twitter, but we'll say draft Twitter for this instance on Maxi versus where the consensus is. Where like he's, you know, he's often mocked at the end at the end of the lottery, maybe even later than that. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I would definitely consider Maxi if the Hawks were drafting in that five, six, seven range. I'm not sure if they would. We'll we'll see on that. But uh, I think it's interesting that you note that you actually have fewer fit concerns with him than uh, than the wings which i'm sure goes against what most people would think on the surface so do most hawks fans who have who have concerns about that is it because of the the size on defense yeah i think that's probably what it is i mean i think offensively okay this is a very different example but you know every time one of the um one of the maybe major trade targets comes up like your, your Donovan Mitchell's your Bradley Beal's like even buddy healed recently. Um, everyone's like, Oh, that'd be awesome on offense. And it would work on defense. And obviously those guys are all with the exception of maybe Beal, if he's trying are worse defenders than Maxi projects to be. But I think everyone is just so cognizant of Trey's weakness on, on defense that if you put a guy next to him that measures at six, three, um, people are just going to worry about that. And I, I understand why, because we've all, heard and I've been probably a part of this problem is just kind of being people with the head with the fact that Trey is going to be a liability forever and if you put a guy next to him that is small uh the alarm bells go off obviously if it's Marcus Smart and he's earned that rep like you mentioned then it's uh, it's less of a problem because he's an all-world defender but if you're not Marcus Smart and you're 6'3 people are gonna get scared I think got it yeah I mean with Maxi, I just I, I don't worry about it too much like yeah he has I guess suboptimal measurements but um I mean, when you, when you just look at, at the resume that he's that he's produced, uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of reason to be concerned. Certainly not like, and it's not even like he'd be guarding two guards all the time. You really could just you'd put him on you know the superior guard and hide Trey wherever you can, and he, he wouldn't necessarily have that much of a size disadvantage at most times. Uh, so I, I yeah, that doesn't really that doesn't concern me personally. Yeah, if you really buy Maxi. Uh on both ends the way that you do. I think it shouldn't, it shouldn't scare you off. I agree with that. I mean, I, and I, I do like Maxi, and I think he's not the liability that you people might assume by his size defensively. So that's an interesting fit. And uh, people should be hopefully watching him a little bit more uh, closely in the coming days. Okay. We're going to go to part two, but before we go to part two, I want to give you a chance to plug yourself real fast. I, I did it before I brought you in, but uh, in case people don't listen to part two right away, where can they find your work? Max, uh, you'll be back momentarily with me, but uh, it'll probably be tomorrow before people hear that. So people should follow your work where? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Max A. Carlin. And then uh, please check out my, my draft podcast. Uh, my co-host Ben Pfeiffer has, has been on um, on this pod before. Uh, we're, we're doing draft all the time. Uh, we usually – we're technically a, week, a weekly podcast, but we've, we've started doing uh, two-parters because our episodes were too long. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, we're doing essentially uh, two episodes a week. Uh, and you can follow that at uh, – prep 
number two pro pod on Twitter. Yeah, I've, uh, this is going to be the same exact phenomenon. So people should be following you. And uh, stay tuned. Subscribe to this podcast. And our next show will also feature Max. So uh, hold on tight. We'll be back tomorrow with more.